Hey there, faithful ThoughtBot podcast listener. We love podcasts and having the opportunity to share our experiences through such a personal medium, and we hope you enjoy listening as much as we like creating them. For the month of December only, you can show your support for ThoughtBot and our podcast with mugs, shirts, and a limited edition knit hat. This particular shirt and mug design have never before been available outside of our own teammates and customers, and they may never be again. For the production and shipping, we are proud to partner with Social Imprints, who provides career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So help support your favorite podcasts, provide employment opportunities for at-risk populations, and get some nifty ThoughtBot swag. Head over to ThoughtBot.com podcasts to place your order and show your support. And hey, thanks. Watch that GIF I just sent you. Uh, where did you send it to me? In Slack. Oh, you're oh, not on I, Slack. I turn off everything that connects to the internet when, I, when I'm recording. Yeah, well, this is really important. You have to watch this GIF. Yeah, it's, it's loading. Doesn't sound like you're watching the GIF. I'm pulling it up now. Is that a couch? No, that's a refrigerator. <laughs> Wait <What>? for it. <laughs> it's just going to fall over his back. I don't, know, I don't know where you are in the GIF yet. <laughs> he's just got like, he's, he, oh, he's getting on a. <laughs> How can he even see? His head is in the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, that came up at Slack today. And then it sent uh, Jankowski on a search where there are surprisingly a lot of like videos of people carrying refrigerators on bicycles. Anyway, <laughs> thought that was a good start to the show. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. <laughs> you got your fancy new phone? I got my fancy new phone. A Pixel phone? Yeah. Cool. How is it? It's good. It's fast. Feels well made. It's got 128 gigs of storage, which is eight times what I had before, so that's nice. Or four times. I think I had 32 gigs before, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a good phone. Cool. You going to do any VR stuff with it? Uh, once the headset comes, yeah. It oh, came yeah. with a free VR headset. Somebody got one here. Oh, Justin got one here. So I tried the Daydream VR headset thing, and it's the first time I've ever tried any sort of VR. Guessing it was like okay budget VR. It was like all I did was I tried the tutorial, or actually the end of the tutorial little thing they have, little welcome thing, because other people had already done the beginning of it, and I was like, I don't know, this seems weird. And then I tried a uh, 360 degree YouTube video, which was kind of interesting. It happened to be like. It was like a football team passing a ball around, and you could like turn around and look at them as they were talking. It was kind of interesting. So I was like, mm, "Show me more in six months." Yeah, I don't think <laughs> I don't like. I think there's a lot of interesting uh, applications for VR. I don't think VR is the future of cell phones. Yeah, putting a thing and putting your phone in a thing and then strapping it to your head still Just seems a, still seems a little clunky. Yeah, but there are know. actual like probably like medical implications of various things, various like specialized devices, and yeah, I um, guess there's there's some interesting ideas there. There's some stuff that we've been doing, like we're seeing a decent amount of interest in this type of stuff, and I don't know what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say, but sometime we'll have to have some people on the show who are more able to talk about this type of thing because I think we're doing some pretty interesting stuff there. Cool, but I can't get into it now. <laughs> we had the prime minister at our office. That was kind of cool. Prime Minister of Canada. Canada, Justin Trudeau. Yes. Boom. Look at that. 
an American who knows the Prime Minister of Canada's name. I, I took a picture when he was on when he was on the stage, and I sent it to my mom, mm-hmm. and she just replies, "Who is that?" <laughs> I, if you hadn't told me that I, you sent me a picture, if you hadn't told me he was the Prime Minister of Canada, <laughs> I would have said like, um, "Okay, is that is that like your CEO?" But like, he's, he's so dreamy, though. <laughs> he looks like he's about thirty-two years old. I, I, I think he's older than that. Yeah. I think he's like 40. Young for a prime minister. <laughs> Is it? I, I mean, it's know. definitely younger than the last prime minister. He's 44 years old. Yeah. It's not, that's not unreasonable. I hope I look that good at 44. Jeez. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the reason he was there was we donated a, a floor of the office for uh, for an event that was going on that he was going to be attending. And they were basically told, like, don't congregate, don't try and, you know, like, glimpse at him as he passes by <laughs> stay out of that area but then it, it last minute it turned out he was going to just say a little thing for the company in our lunchroom and so everybody gathered for that and then he did like an impromptu Q&A session wow. and the first question was can I take a selfie and he was like we'll take selfies afterwards and then he was about to run off after answering some real questions and he was like oh wait the selfie and he proceeds to take like the most ridiculous selfie where he has a guy do a panorama of like the with like and there's you know half the office there mm-hmm. um and he's like placing himself in all of the panor in, in in every angle of the panorama so it looks <laughs> like he's just like in the crowd bunch yeah i did see was, that i think you posted that somewhere yeah that's pretty awesome watch. not every day like a major head of state shows up at your workplace so somebody did point out because i called him head of state in twitter he's actually just the head of government the queen is the head of state there's a queen of canada the queen yeah it's the same as the queen of england and the queen of all of the commonwealth wow how come we're not obsessed with like the queen of canada like we are the queen of england because it's the same Americans. person oh it's, it's the not queen of the like, commonwealth. it's not like the queen of no, england it's, it's the, it is the queen of I england i didn't say like the queen of england i said <laughs> it is the same person as the queen as who, the queen of england oh okay. the whole point of the commonwealth is it's the countries who gain their independence by agreeing to continue to recognize the queen as the head of state if they could have independence Interesting. Yeah. I fail to recognize her as the head of any state. It's my prerogative. That's that's why the, the, the United States is not part of the Commonwealth. <laughs> all right, then. She's on all of our money up here. It's not. Re- it's like Monopoly money, though. <laughs> it's, I thought it was approaching regular currency. Regular currency. It was approaching the U.S. dollar at some point. Did it fall oh, I back just down? mean like it doesn't look like real money. Oh, but yeah. yeah, it's also basically worthless. And you all get that coin with the silver on the outside and the gold on the inside. Oh, the toonie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, worth $2. Yeah. I like that one. I was watching a video from a from a Canadian comedian where he went to the mint and like the toonies were actually still two separate pieces because it's like an urban myth here of whether you can pull them apart. And in his mind, like, I'm sure it's a big deal if you grew up here. I, I was just like, yeah, that looks like that's how they would be made. But he was like, I knew in my head they had to be like this, but I've never seen it. And this is like validating <laughs> everything I believe to be true as a child. <laughs> well, anyway, hey. so it's been very Canadian up here lately. Good. Good. I'm glad you're uh, you're adjusting well. <laughs> sure. For, uh, for some definition of adjusting. <laughs> so I have some rail stuff. Okay. Let's have my rail stuff. So I've noticed like as I'm doing this more greenfield project that like I get to have the conversations I've had like several times again where like every project it's like, oh, no, no. I get to say like the, oh, I went down this path once before 
and you don't want to do it. And these like, and some of them end up in being in like really trivial things. And I thought it was interesting that like every time I go down one of these, I can distinctly remember like the person who taught me that like to do something a certain way or like the circumstances around the project that taught me like, oh, watch out for this one. And like today's was the use of empty or any on a collection versus the use of present on a collection. And semantically, you would think like those are kind of the same thing. Right. Well, present's the opposite of blank, right? Right. Not present empty. is the opposite of blank. So an empty array is actually not present or is blank, right? Right. So that would also return true for empty, right? Right. And then so, array containing nil is also not present, right? Well, I don't know about that. Is that sure. Okay. What's, what's the difference that you're going to get to? Then? So the difference I'm going to get to is like semantically using something like empty or any makes more sense when you're talking about a collection than present or blank, I seem to, I, I think. But there's actually a performance difference between using empty or any and present or blank when you're talking about active record relations or ARL relations or whatever oh, it is. Oh, that's, that's, that's gone now. Mm, not in five. Should be. No. Oh, I fixed it. No. So like the, perform the performance difference being if you have a, an unresolved relation, right? Right. So it's still the queries just, used to be different. The queries are still different, at least in five. Oh, okay. Oh. I thought I fixed that. Yeah, one of them one of them executes count star. The other one does select one, and the reason for that has to do. Oh, I remember. No. I fixed it, and then the fix was broken, and then and then I had to revert the fix, and I never got around to actually fixing it. I was thinking. So the difference I'm or seeing select is exists is whatever. Is, right. Uh, so it does select count star or something like that. Empty does select count star. I think any does select exists or something. So those are different. Versus if you do present, it's just going to trigger the collection to be loaded, and then check to see if the result is present. Well, that's definitely wrong. Well, I like that because ultimately, yes, because normally what you end up doing is, see, these are the conversations I have around every project where we start like this. Normally what you end up doing, what, like the normal use case for something like this, at least, I don't know, 70% of the time, I'm totally bullshitting that number, right, is <laughs> you have a block in your view and you want to say like, if there are any comments, then I'm going to step through them and render them. Sure, but just call dot load. If you know, like, you should just assume that everything's going to do no queries if it's actually loaded. If you actually want to say, yes. like, don't do what is potentially the most optimal thing, just do dot load. Why is it potential? Like, that, that just seems, seems like an extra step. Like, if I could, I could just call present and it's going to do what I want. Like, if it's already loaded, it's going to operate the same. If it's not already loaded, it's going to go ahead and go get me all of these records. We can't just assume that because you want to know if there were any records that you then are also going to want to iterate over all records. Yes. There are plenty of valid use cases for checking if there are any records without iterating over all of them. Yes, I get, I understand that. And that's why I think it's important that there be two different things. I See, I, I, would, rather, I would rather they all just behave the same because it's much easier to remember like, hey, if you don't want this to do a second query, load the relation first, then it is like, okay, wait, which of those is the one that does a different uh, second query? Right. Like, do you know the difference between count size and length? Yes. So <laughs> count will always do a count. Yep. Size will do a count if necessary. Otherwise, it will just, if it's already loaded, it'll check the length of the array and length will always be the length of the array. Yes. But this is something I had to have driven into me by similar conversations to what I'm having now about present and empty where it's like, wait, which is, I almost always, you just want size, just use size. That's what you want to use. Yeah, you probably want length if you're doing uh, displaying X posts and then going to show all the posts and you want length. But again, right, or just call dot load and yeah, it's fine. The same, I guess it's the same exact thing. I just didn't, yeah, that's a fair point. Yes. 
I find the count size length one a little easier to remember because count maps to count and mm-hmm. length only really makes sense in the context of an array. Yes. So that's how I always remember it. And then, so- and then size is like then just left by process of elimination. With this present and empty and any and blank and all that stuff, I have no problem remembering that present and blank load the relationship. But then I'm always like, wait, does empty really not load the relationship? Does any load? What, what do those two ones do again? And I have to check them every time. Well, and then there's another one. I don't remember what it is now, but you'd expect to be identical to any and also identical to present. But instead of doing count star, it'll do select exists. <laughs> um, All right. Which is what you which is almost always what you want, because count star is extremely slow. I know. Yes. Well, if you have no conditions. Right. Right. If you have no conditions and it can't use an index, and then it's slow. It's loading the entire data set. Well, if the query happens to be indexed, it can just check the size of the index. Uh, yeah, that's true. But yes, you are correct. Most of the, like if you're just doing comments dot count, comment dot count uh, in Rails land, then you are going to even get... in the cases where count isn't slow, exists is going to be faster. Right. But those like these are the things that like I get to have this conversation again because we're using any in lots of places, and I'm like, well, actually, almost. I think almost every single place we're using it, we are guarding like the, we don't want to render anything here if there's nothing. But if there is something, then we want this div and then we want to loop over each one of them and do this other thing. I, vo- uh, I vote just call dot load. So you would say just anytime you're about to do that, call dot load dot any? Right, because then everybody who looks at it knows exactly what you're doing. Or maybe even not dot load dot any, maybe the line above do dot load. So that way it's super explicit. Oh, and a view? <laughs> you know what I mean? That way, however you do it, you know, you, you get what I mean, though? Like, that way it's very explicit. Like, no, we are loading this so that does not do two queries. And nobody's ever going to look at that and, and think it's doing two queries or have to remember or... Yeah, and then, and then it, like, ultimately, if you preloaded all these things in the controller, it doesn't freaking matter if you call any <laughs> right or present so there's all sorts of variables at play and then there's always like and then we delve into the part of the conversation where we're like well actually if you're going like the base camp way quote right, unquote, which of these is better for caching which of these is better for caching it turns out that any is probably better it, it turns right. out that not or at least it turns out that not preloading in the controller may be better if you're willing to optimize for the cache case at the cost of the cold cache case well, and if you're doing if you're doing Russian doll style caching, you potentially just want a bunch of n plus one query bugs. Yes, I think um, David has said as much in a post where he talks about this, and there's uh, another blog post somewhere which says many of the same things. I think it's called like n plus one is a feature or something like that, and we can link. To, I'll find it and we can link to it in the show notes, and I'll try and find the thing that I saw with David saying the same thing. I- don't think n plus one is a feature but yeah i don't i think i don't i think you should be able to explicitly cause it but it, it comes back to my some of my problems with rails it's like i don't want to have to start designing my apps around the idea that something's going to be cached i just want to do the right thing and then when i need a speed boost cache it right. and not worry that like oh because i did the right thing earlier my caches are actually now slower that you know like and yeah. yeah, that's going to be the case. Well, I mean, that's going to be the case no matter what. Right. For but... that, that's going to be the case. But for it to make such a difference like it does in Rails apps is unfortunate, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Like, that's one of the things that I've just enjoyed about Diesel is that if you're doing a query in a loop, you know you're doing a query in a loop. <laughs> right. Right. And it's just like, so if you're going to generate cache keys based off of that, like, it's pretty straightforward to generate cache keys based off of an array of things. It's pretty straightforward to generate cache keys based off of one thing. 
And if you are caching the results of these queries or using these queries as, as part of a cache key, like it just it's, it's, it's very explicit and easy to understand what's happening and where the trade-offs are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like on this app, we're actually making use of a lot of either presenters or decorators, however you... I don't want to get into what the difference is, because I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> but well, one presents, the other decorates, obviously. Sure. And some of them were going to like generate markup. And I was like, can we not do this? Because at some point, we're going to want to do caching, and that's another thing we're going to have to consider about the cache keys and the things and the things. You, you are shaking your fist. <laughs> I have a story. Okay. It's a short story, but... <laughs> so I think this was like sometime late last week. Somebody came into the Rails. We have a we have a Rails room in Slack, which is basically just like it's supposed to be where the Rails team coordinates, but it's more often like where random people come for help, or most recently where people come to report exceptions that are only occurring in Rails five, because we've been running Rails five in five to ten percent of our servers uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, somebody was like, "So I have this helper method. It's returning a boolean, but this conditional is always running." And when I inspect in the view the return type of this helper method, uh, the type is active support safe buffer. Somebody tell me why. <laughs> <laughs> and my first thought was like, he was just doing something silly and like, no, his method wasn't returning a Boolean. But I was looking at the method body and the method body was like, not this other thing, right? So I'm like, sure, it could be returning something which actually overrides at bang to return an instance of active support safe buffer. But I felt like that was pretty unlikely. And I eventually, well, Raphael eventually found it. There's a, a module that basically goes in for all help, helper module methods. And if the method name starts with UI underscore, causes it to uh, emit an HTML comment with the name of the method <laughs> before and after calling the original method. Because somebody on the UI team is really, really bad at debugging. <laughs> And then what was, was even better was the day before that happened, my wife was talking to some people on the UI team about helping them revamp the admin page or something. And she was looking at maybe going to join that team. And I called her over to look at this. And she's like, oh, God, what have I done? This is the code I'm going to have to be touching. <laughs> but yeah. Well, you just so, un- undo that one. And there you go. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, I actually, we actually probably can just delete that and then if somebody comes to the rails channel being like why did you delete all my debugging stuff then we can just answer use pry (laughs) (laughs) right but yeah that was interesting it has become like a thing i have to think about on every level at all times like uh, well is this the best way to do that like should we just bite the bullet now and embrace this like we're gonna cache the hell out of everything infrastructure and optimize for that or should we try and hold out as long as we can and then potentially be like, oh, now we've made these decisions that are kind of at odds with our earlier decision. And I don't know. I don't know I the mean, answer. I think your worst case scenario is like, okay, you 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 eager loaded before and now you're not eager loading. That takes you 30 minutes to fix. Right. I'm not even talking about the N plus one type things. Although I guess I am. But like the decision to do things in decorators rather than to do them like in the view. Right. And it's like, okay, well, now like the Russian doll caching stuff that's built into Action View doesn't know about this stuff. So that happens like when you have helper methods. It, it's the same thing with helper yeah. methods, really, is that you have to tell somehow you have to give it this magic comment that says, like, also, I depend on this helper, I think is what you do. Right. Or do you just have to, I forget what you have to do. Anyway, we should make that just work. Sure. Yeah. Like, we actually can, pr- I'm just trying to think now. 
but there's, there's anything ar- but there's lots of things like like there's lots of things that we're doing which aren't helpers but are just like decorators we don't store them in an app helpers, no but like, I'm, like, I'm like thinking like if the thing in there is like just calling one method we could go grab the source of that method and hash it but then that would that would depend on also every method that the source of every method it calls yeah that would never work <laughs> I'm just going like the the way we've decided is like I'm just going to build the Rails app like I always built the Rails app, which is like I right. try to make it as fast as I can make it before I say like yeah we need to cache something here, and actually try to make it as fast as I can make it is a lie. It's avoid things I know to be slow. I mean, right? I think that if you if you go for the middle ground of like you add you sprinkle on some caching, but you also try and make things fast, mm-hmm. then also just bust like busting blowing the cache. your cache when you whenever you deploy is fine. Right. Which is not like if you go the other way where you're like our app is going to be really slow on a cold cache, then you have you would better hope that you don't have a cold cache very often. <laughs> I mean, you... I think I remember somebody at Basecamp telling me that their app basically doesn't run on a cold cache. Hmm. Like they'll they'll time out everything. Yeah, we had we had a client project that I talked about on the show a lot. It was like the worst performing site I'd ever seen in my life that we ended up like adding a whole bunch of caching to because we the code just could not be improved so we added a bunch of caching the cache keys were basically garbage but there was zero there was some user generated content when we started and when i we convinced them that like if you want to solve this performance problem get rid of this user generated content and you know we'll bake it in every once in a while and then we'll just we have these cache keys and the cache keys even though there is no user generated content are often not 100% correct so every time we release we will empty the cache and then write a script that hits every one of your product pages and <laughs> warms the cache <laughs> because otherwise it's intolerable and that was the solution we got to i have a fun caching story they're all fun well this one was from like 30 minutes ago awesome <laughs> so uh we're trying to deploy rails 5 right test suites all green as best we can tell everything is fine but um, when we put Rails 5 on, te- we put it, I think, t- this morning at 10% of servers. We saw, like, a very small number of exceptions trickle in. Like, one of them was in a very hot path for payment processing. And we saw, like, four or five. And this is in a thing that does that does tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of requests. Mm-hmm. So, like, if any code path is broken, you really expect that to fail a significant percentage of the time. And we eventually found the pattern other than there was one place where just somebody actually also happened to deploy some bad code at the same time we that in the same deploy where we increased the Rails 5 percentage. Other than that one, we noticed the pattern that all of the things that were failing were due to empty associations being returned. Or not necessarily empty, but like associations not returning values that they'd expect to when they were going into this thing that we have called identity cache. And identity cache is a gem that Shopify wrote that basically just stores active record stuff in memcached. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to get something out of the cache, it doesn't even try to expire it, I think. It just tries to, uh, like, in after commit hooks, update the cache, I think. Anyway, so we noticed everything I was feeling that was doing this. And so I assume, because this thing, like, hooks into association internals in some funky ways. And so I assume that just, like, something really subtle broke there. And I was looking through it. Couldn't find anything that stood out to me. And we just couldn't figure anything out. We don't log SQL queries unless they're slow queries. There was nothing in the logs to help. And eventually, and we put Rails 5 back down to zero because we were seeing exceptions. Uh, eventually, we were just like, put Rails 5 on 1% of servers, locked all deploys, which you know is a big deal when there's like 500 developers working on the app. 
uh, locked all deploys, VPN into the data center to SSH into one of the servers to get a live console to just go like call one of the methods that was raising the exception in production and see what was going on. And eventually, and, and eventually by doing that, we finally figured out that the cache key was different. And the cache key was something like uh, shard ID master class name, identity cache version number, hash that's generated off of the schema of the model, and then the ID. And the, the thing that was generated off the schema of the model was the thing that was different. So I loaded up a console on my local machine and just looked at the code that was generating this. And I noticed that what was happening was it does this thing where it just goes through the list of columns and basically does uh, column name, colon, column type, the simplified type, not the actual SQL type, but like the mm -hmm. symbol that you get back, and then hashing that string. And the delta between the two versions was that the settings column in Rails 4 was reporting nil for its type and in Rails 5 was reporting text for its type. Now, I haven't quite figured out why that changed because, like, this was literally a few minutes ago. But what was interesting to me was that, okay, so the cache key changed. That should just be a cache miss. It shouldn't be returning, like, no data because it was reporting as a cache hit. Mm -hmm. And so what I think is happening and this would also explain why the number of exceptions was so low. I think that cause we use a schema cache. So there's a file on disk that it uses to get all the schema information rather than going and querying the database. Because like when we bring up a couple thousand instances and they all go hit the database at once to, to load the schema, like it's just unnecessary load on the database. Mm -hmm. And we deployed a change to that recently. And I think there might have been a bug from that that only was occurring on Rails 4.2. And so the cache key that the Rails 5 version is generating is the same as the cache kit that the Rails 4.2 version was generating like very, very recently, recently enough that those cache entries haven't expired. So it's reading from the cache with very, very recent but slightly stale data. And so the place, the reason we're seeing so few exceptions is it's it's in things like uh, loading up payment gateways, stuff that doesn't change terribly often. Right. So like it's in the handful of people who have introduced a new payment gateway into their account in the last day or so, I think is what's happening. And so, yeah, the, ca the cache keys are colliding. Fun. Caching's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like about every, if, if you go back and listen to all of our episodes, maybe one out of five, we start talking about caching and then talk about how all the ways that caching uh, has screwed us over. I mean, hey, everybody's lives and applications are better just by adding more caching to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just have to, when you, you know, when you run into an issue with caching, you just, you cache your knowledge of that issue and move on. <laughs> Sounds good. You know the problem for Bit with Bitcoin is for programmers? Is this going to be a joke? Yeah. I don't know what's the problem with Bitcoin for programmers. It's not a polymorphic inline cache. Ah, <laughs> cache. I get it. <laughs> You're so proud of yourself. Did you make that one up? No, I stole it from somebody on Twitter. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Good job by you. There's a dad jokes channel in the Shopify Slack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think like dad, the, the term dad joke has become synonymous with pun. Yeah. So basically, if you're punning, it's a dad joke. Is that That's kind of what I'm, what I'm hearing. I mean, I, I thought a dad joke was just any bad joke. Well... All Which, puns are bad. Right. So, so. There's, a, there's a high <laughs> amount of overlap there. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I was I was very proud of myself 
the other day when I was making crazy cheese meals and we bought so many cheeses that I had enough cheese to put on the counter and spell out the word pun. So I took a picture of that and said my puns were getting quite cheesy. That one I was really proud of. <laughs> You're ready for this, yeah. I'm so ready for this. Oh, so I'm trying to get a release of Diesel out like tomorrow because I'm going on vacation for three weeks on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so I want to ship a release and have a few days in case there are issues. And one of the things I've been promising for ages is Postgres upsert support. Right. And there's a lot to Postgres's version of upsert. So SQLite is pretty straightforward. There's five options, but there are really only two that are particularly relevant. Uh, the first is insert or ignore, which is try to insert this. And if there's a primary key slash unique index collision, just don't do anything. Okay. The second is insert or replace. Mm-hmm. which is attempt to insert it. And if there's a collision, all of the fields that didn't collide, update them with the values I tried to insert. Okay. My SQL has the same. It also has something that is closer to Postgres' upsert support where you can write insert yada 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 on duplicate key update. Mm-hmm. And then you can reference the values that failed to update using like values column name. However, in MySQL's docs, it also states that that form is horrendously unsafe and should basically never be used. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's nice. Usually, usually MySQL doesn't bother to tell you that about their features. Right. <laughs> in, in the bug report about that thing being unsafe, it mentions that it doesn't affect replace. So um, I also don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, I have officially decided that I'm going to add MySQL support in January. So I'm also thinking about MySQL's upsert support, uh, support while I'm working on this. And so... Even though that second form of MySQL is kind of close to what Postgres does, I'm probably not going to support it and just only support replace because that's the one that's not documented as unsafe to use. <laughs> but then, so Postgres has nothing like replace. It does have something like ignore, but it's syntactically so different that it's difficult. Like a lot of this is a little more challenging just due to the nature of how of Diesel's structure of like you build a query and then you execute the query. So like insert or replace is very easy because in the AST that I'm constructing, I just replaced what used to be the hard-coded insert with an arbitrary operator class. Right, right. Uh, and then I put replace in there instead. Postgres's syntax for the equivalent of insert or ignore is uh, insert into yada, 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 values, yada, 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 uh, on conflict, do nothing. And then you can also specify the specific columns that you want to care about a conflict on or the specific constraint name. Um, but then the thing that also ma- that makes this frustratingly difficult from like the I don't want to have my entire insert statement AST care about a Postgres specific feature is that that clause has to come after everything else, but before the returning clause. Mm-hmm. Okay. Enjoy shoehorning that in. If you want to actually do updates, though, so it's on uh, conflict. This time you have to specify either the columns or the name of the, the constraint do update, and then you can put in basically anything that would be a valid update statement. Uh, you reference the fields that failed to insert as excluded dot column name. And then you can also, in the on conflict where you're specifying the constraint, you can put a where clause there. So you can only do this update. You can say on conflict of this column where the value of that column is even or something like that. And you can also put a where clause on the update part of it, which I think the difference between that is if the where clause on the on conflict portion doesn't match, it still conflicts and raises and gives back an error. 
And I think the on conflict do update, if you have the where clause after the do update, I think what happens is it just it, it acts the same as do nothing if the where clause doesn't match. That makes that makes sense. I guess the, the use case for the first one would be like, do this upsert, but only if this record isn't locked or something like that. Like yeah. some sort of like it's finalized, like it should never change anymore. I mean, it seems completely valid. Like the reason that MySQL's non-replace upsert is so unsafe is because um, if there's more than one primary key or more than one unique index, it's non-deterministic which one will will cause the issue and the actual values that you get back will change. And so that's why Postgres requires you to specify the columns or index or constraint that you want to handle the conflict for. And it, 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 it makes complete sense to say like, yes. Uh, if there's a conflict on email address, do this. If there's a conflict on ID, no, you pro- like that's probably programmer error. Please blow up, probably because mm-hmm. you didn't sp- intend to try to insert a specific ID. Right. <laughs> um, I'm having trouble figuring out how to shoehorn all this in, and then it's just like, especially with my constraint of type safety. There's a lot of things that like I know generally how I'm gonna do, but it's gonna be very annoying. Like the the way you reference the columns that fail to insert, right? So I'll probably have a function called excluded, which takes a column and then that generates a SQL excluded dot column. And that's fine. And that part's really easy to do. Then the hard part it's actually also just going to be writing the tests for this and thinking through all the cases. I also have to make sure that that excluded what column name never compiles if you try to use that just in some random arbitrary place. It's Almost certainly, I'm gonna I'm gonna take one more swing at it tomorrow morning um, before before work and see if I can make some headway on it. It's almost certainly not gonna make it into the next release, which sucks. I've been promising Postgres upsert for like two versions, and it means I'm gonna have to cut something from the January release because I, I I wanted to do the new Postgres driver and my SQL support in January, but I don't think I'll have time to do both of those and also add Postgres upsert, especially since I'll be getting caught up from vacation. Stop making promises. <laughs> Yeah. Stop having instead. stop having a roadmap. <laughs> no, well it's I'm specifically looking at the things that are going to cause breaking changes to the API because I want to ha- I want right. to uh do 1.0 in February or March. April or May. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> actually probably. You should just run these by me and I'll give it you be like here's the date I'm thinking and I'll just be like mm, 3 months after that. <laughs> I I have realized that whenever I say I'll look at it tomorrow I tend to say that a lot on Thursdays. If I ever say I'll look at it tomorrow on a Thursday, it almost certainly means next Monday. <laughs> what do you do on Fridays? Nothing. I just I have I always have more shit coming in on Fridays. Okay. And I've been trying not to not to do open source on the weekends. Hmm. How come? You only do closed source software on the weekends? <laughs> no, it's just like I've been trying to not program on the weekends. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. That problem will solve itself soon enough for you. Yeah, right. No <laughs> kidding. No, it's also like it, it's one of the kind of liberating things about being full time on open source is that I can just say, you know what? This is my job. So it's six o'clock. I'm done with I, 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 don't, done, like, yeah. I don't ever feel guilty for not responding to issues. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> anyway, I knew Postgres Upsert was a thing. and I knew it was more complex, but it's like. Jeez, there's a lot to it, and I kind of actually just want replace. Right. Like 99% of the time, I just want replace. Just support that? It's not a thing that, that's in Postgres. I could try to emulate it. Yeah. I could generate like a really janky query where it's like, no, I can't even do that because I have to, I have to know the columns that you want that, that might conflict. 
I can do something that almost looks like it, but you'd have to t- at least tell me the columns that conflict. Hmm. Never mind. Uh, wait for Postgres 9.7? 9.8? 10? Yeah. I can, op- I can open an issue asking for the replace keyword. Yeah. There you go. I'm sure it's being... I mean, uh, Upsert just came to Postgres in like 9.6, I think, right? In the latest uh, release? 9.5. 9.5? And they're on 9.6. 9.6 is what's released currently, I think? Yes. So it's still pretty new. Yeah, but a lot of people have been asking for support, so... Yeah. Active Record doesn't support it currently, right? No. Active Record doesn't support Upsert on any backend. Right. But if it was going to start that support, I mean, it would happen on Postgres, I would think. Yeah, it'd be a little... Well... If we were going to do it, we would we would abstract over it. Right. We would have we would just have add insert or replace or create a replace on base and probably on relation. It'd be easier for us to emulate replace an active record, uh, just because like it's on places where we just know the primary key. Right. And we can probably just well no we don't want to assume the primary key though because you, you you don't get those conflicts on primary keys you get them on unique indexes. Right. Yeah, we wouldn't be able to emulate replace an active record easily either. All right, so it's not happening. There must be an active record upsert gem. Oh, I'm sure. Like, we could add backend specific things, but if we were going to do something that was supported right. all backends, that have to be insert or replace. Yeah. Uh, and even then, the, the out of tree adapters wouldn't be able to support it because, like, there's no equivalent on uh, SQL Server. Um, I don't know about Oracle. I don't think there is an Oracle either, but I'm not sure either. It's been a while since I did Oracle, so a lot of things could have changed. Cool. Should we wrap up? Yeah, we can wrap up. Okay. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention that we're currently, uh, I don't know, what's what's the terminology I should use here? We're running we are running a bake uh, sale right. to support the podcast, <laughs> only instead of cookies, it's hats. There you go. Sean said it so well. Uh, you can get a t-shirt, hat, mug, a package of those things. If you head on over to thoughtbot.com slash podcasts, and the proceeds from that will go to support future production of this show, uh, keeping our quality, our production quality very high, and uh, exciting things like that. So if you could check that out, it'd be a great help to us. Powered by Shopify. Also, yes, powered by Shopify. It's a ThoughtBot <laughs> Shopify collaboration, just like this podcast. It's so, it's so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 92. As always, rings, reviews on iTunes or Google Play are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this show or any other show, email Sean. <laughs> what? Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>